It is time for another edition of Around the Nest 2.0 Season 2. What a time. September 15th, 2023. It's Game 3 of the Northwest League Championship Series in High A. The single-A season has come and gone. Double-A is wrapping up, and triple-A is in the midst of their September sprint. And for today's episode, it's a three-pack. Myself, Tyler Zickel from High A Vancouver. We've got Gareth Kwok from Double-A New Hampshire and the one and only Chris Valentine reporting live not from TD Ballpark in Dunedin today. Looks like he's coming to us from home, but gentlemen, good day. And of course, our producer, Leo Mui, getting us on the air and making sure all the technical T's are crossed and I's are dotted. Chris, Gareth, good day to you both. Mr. Valentine, where are you coming to us from? I know Gareth is at the Tooth in downtown Manchester, NH. Uh, right now, I'm just chilling in my apartment, hanging out, taking some time off, and uh, happy to be back in in the nest and talking with you guys. We have certainly flocked our way back on this Friday. Gareth, good to see you again, my friend. It's a home series for the Fisher Cats, but we still get to see you. Uh, how did Steve get off the hook today? Is he taking care of business up in the press box? You know, uh, you know, Steve's been dealing with a little bit of a hammy issue the, the last couple of days. So, uh, you know, they had to, they, you know, coach asked if I could come in and, and pinch uh, in a pinch, I suppose, and just fill in for today. So. Uh, but the, the, Steve is supposed to be activated off the injury list in, in a couple of days. So he'll, he'll, he'll be back hopefully for the, for the, for the finale. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, when a coach comes out and he singles for the right hand or really a manager comes out, righty, lefty, with put the throat for a new voice. Get a new voice on there right here. This is the sign right here. Uh, well, gents, let's get right to it. The Canadians certainly one and one in their postseason series against the Everett Aqua Sox as we talk on this Friday. Uh, Chris, your season's come to a close. Gareth, we are wrapping up the double-A campaign. So for both of you, we'll keep it a little more casual today. We'll make this more of a roundtable with just the three of us. Uh, start with you, Chris. During the last two-week stretch of the season, who was the hitter that stood out most for the DJs as they wrapped up the 2023 regular season? I think i got to stick with someone that we've talked about a couple times, and that would be Jace Borfin. Uh He continued to hit. He missed the last couple games of the year. Uh, never got put on the IL, but had a nagging injury, and they kept him off. But uh, in his in his last 10 games, still batted over uh, 300, had a 932 OPS. Um he whenever he was healthy and ready to go, he was always pretty he was always just a good at bat. And you could generally you could generally anticipate a good result whenever he came up. And Gareth, what about for you? We got a lot of guys on that double A roster who've had some serious individual successes at multiple levels this year. Who has stood out over this last two week stretch to wrap up the regular season? Yeah, certainly some some candidates that have been hitting well as we head down this final stretch. I mean just to throw a couple names out there, Trevor Schwecki, a guy right now who's tied for the Eastern League lead in hits this month. Riley Tirada, who came off a, a poor August, is now hitting 359 in the month of September. Will Robertson, who had five home runs for the Fisher Cats in the 12-game road trip. But I think for consistency-wise, for the best hitter, it's it's been Alan Roden. Alan Roden right now on an 11-game on base streak, and he's hitting 385 in the month of September, 327 just since he joined the team in July after the all-star break, just his consistency at the top of the lineup for Cesar Martin, whether he's hitting, you know, lead off second, third, he's been able to barrel the ball up very consistently and put a lot of hard contact. He's not a, a easy guy to strike out for opposing pitchers. And so I think for Roden, just his consistency since he came from Vancouver to New Hampshire has been uh, certainly something that stood out. 
certainly playing his way into a top 10 prospect ranking. I think the powers that be at MLB.com have the pride of Middleton, Wisconsin as the number seven Blue Jays prospect these days, unranked to start this 2023 season. Third rounder, of course, last year out of Creighton, uh, joining Will Robertson as a guy trying to become a blue space Jay after being a blue Jay, all one word in college. Speaking of Alan Roden, Gareth, I got something for you. Last day of the regular season in Tri-City for the Canadians, Josh Kastovich, the second rounder out of Oregon last year, another top 30 prospect who, for me, has been the finest hitter consistently from the start of the season to the end of the season, who has stayed with the Canadians here in high A. Kastovich, uh, Nick Kent of Spokane, and then Roden were the three guys coming into the final day of the regular season challenging for the batting title in the Northwest League. Well, you might be thinking to yourself, wait a second, Alan Roden's no longer been in the league for over two months. How is he in contention? <laughs> and how does he have enough qualified at-bats to be considered for these cumulative league leaderboard statistics? Well, Roden left here batting 321 when he got promoted to join y'all in AA New Hampshire. You take the difference between his actual at-bats and the number of at-bats that you need to qualify, which I think the formula is 2.7 times number of games, and that's how many at-bats you need. Roden, after doing the math and making him over for the difference between the actual at-bats that he had and the at-bats that he needed, still leading the league with a 287 batting average. And so if my math is correct, and I got an English degree from a liberal arts college in Los Angeles for a reason, but if my math is correct, <laughs> Alan Roden, is going to be the batting champion in the high A Northwest League this year, which is wild to me. Josh Kasovich might have been robbed. In fact, he needed two hits in the final game. He got one. And in his last at bat in the ninth, he hits a seed back up the middle. It goes off the pitcher's plant leg, ricochets towards the first base foul line. And because of the angle, Josh is sprinting down the line. The ball is running this way. The pitcher and Josh kind of arrive at the baseline at the same time. Josh is in between the two chalk lines that denote where the running lane is. He gets called out for runner's interference when he was in the lane. And then Brent, our Lavalley, our manager, comes out and he gets ejected with two outs remaining in the regular season. So Brent certainly uh, <laughs> finishing on a high note, backing up his guy. Really poor call from an umpire who, would in fact, is the crew chief for this postseason series and was working to plate in game one in Everett. So you got to love the late season drama. Uh, Alan Roden, though, certainly to, to wrap up a long monologue on my behalf, certainly a guy deserving of all the accolades and somebody who we may very well see in Toronto as early as next year. Let's go to the mound. How about some pitchers who have been doing a really nice job i know for you gareth we've got ricky tiedemann on the mound tonight in downtown manchester the final friday night home game of the regular season that should be quite fun what about some other pitchers who performed well over the last few weeks yeah i think guys like mason Hardy, who from since he joined in may just left-handed hitter if you're a left-handed hitter you do not want to face mason Hardy. just from that extreme first base side of the mound everything that he has has movement, you know, cut a cut fastball, two seam fastball. He's got a sweeper. I mean, it's just it's nasty stuff from Fluhardi. And he's, you know, he's had some up bumps in the road, but it hasn't been points of the season where innings have really, you know, spoiled over or, or blown up. He's been able to just bounce back, even if he gives up a run or two, they put up a zero in the in the box score. Another guy that I would probably say who's who's doing doing well for the Fisher Cats. Adrian Hernandez has kind of turned things around a little bit after walking a lot of guys in the first half, in the beginning of second half, his last, uh, I believe 10 games or so is his ERA is under three. And so just from a guy who was struggling to, you know, get the slide and then change up around. And now he's become a guy that, Hey, you know, you can, you can depend on him to throw some strikes now towards the end of the season. 
I know here in high A, Adam Mako, who of course was the big minor league piece in the Teoscar Hernandez deal, along with Eric Swanson coming over from Seattle, finishing the season in the regular season and into the postseason. He was phenomenal in game one against his former team in Everett on Tuesday night. He had 14 and two thirds consecutive hitless innings over his last three starts, including the postseason. So Adam Mako, a guy who was a top 10 prospect to start the year, is now the number 23 Blue Jays prospect, of course. So much of that can be eyewash, but it's something that gives the talking heads like us an opportunity to try and at least order our thoughts and find ways to focus on certain guys. So for me, Adam Mako is certainly uh, the finest pitcher for the Canadians down the stretch. And how about for single-A Dunedin, Chris? Well, I think I'm going to cheat on this this question a little bit, and I'm going to give you two. <laughs> okay, I, I have you to can. Give, I accept. Uh, Lazar Estrada, who we've talked about a bunch as of late, uh, just a couple of really consistent appearances, gave up two runs in each of his last uh, two starts, uh, got the win, the only win that we had in our final week of the year against Jupiter. Uh, he looked really good in both, just a couple minor mistakes, a couple Really tight walks. I think almost all of his walks lately came on 3-2 counts, so it's still right in the at-bat. Um, but those came back to bite him a little bit, but he still looked phenomenal. And then uh, I'd be robbing you of a moment if I didn't talk about Kenji Rojas. Uh, September 2nd, Saturday, game one of a doubleheader at in Daytona, his penultimate start of the year. Six no-hit innings, hit a batter, walked three, struck out three. Didn't have his best stuff, but somehow grinded through uh, I think he made 78 pitches in that game. And then one of uh, Gareth's guys, who's currently up there, came on to finish off the game, getting the final three outs, uh, Grayson Thurman. That was a phenomenal appearance by Kendry. What a moment to to end pretty much the regular season. We had the week left, but that, that seemed like a nice cherry on top in a, in a year where we definitely had our struggles. Uh, he definitely had struggles against Jupiter in his final start, giving up four runs. But uh, the, those two have been just phenomenal all year long. And it was really good to see a couple of consistent appearances by Lazaro. And then that just phenomenal start by Kendry. Now, is this a two birds, one stone answer for you there, Chris? Cause our next question for the show today is talking about some uh, big time moments down the stretch, some memorable experiences. It sounds like Kendry's outing was certainly a highlight over the last stretch to the final season or rather the final game final out in the regular season. Yeah, that it's definitely in terms of the hierarchy, it's definitely number one on uh, on our highlights this year. There was a few walk-offs that, that were really fun to watch. Uh, one of them came off our low light, which was a nine-game losing streak. Uh, we'll get to that later. But, uh, yeah, Victor Messia, his, uh, his three-run walk-off triple in the bottom of the 10th when we were down by four going into that half inning, that was up there with Kendry. But, I mean, it, you got to go with the no-hitter. Gareth, for you... And mind you, congratulations. You've officially earned your Eastern League stripes after the two-week road trip that took you to Reading and then to Bowie, Maryland. I remember those long drives from New Hampshire to Bowie or, in your instance, Reading to Bowie. Uh, when you're in double digits uh, on the in terms of hours on the bus, it's never fun. But congratulations. You certainly have earned your stripes. Uh, that game on Sunday in Bowie was wild. I was watching it on MILB TV, uh, 7-5 going into the ninth. Juan Nunez, who's been electric at multiple levels this year, just didn't seem to have his best command. He walks four consecutive batters. It's 7-6, Fisher Cats, nobody out. And then who but Grayson Thurman comes in. And I think he went strikeout, strikeout, ground out to end the game. I mean, what was it like to be there watching that at Prince George's Stadium? 
Oh man, I mean, you you just felt like it was going to be deja vu all, all over again with the Fisher Cats when it comes to these late inning situations. And and actually, just before I I talk about Thurman and what he did, the first two games of that series against Bowie, Billy Cook of Bowie walks off twice in a row with with back to back walk off homers. And Fisher Cats, who just for whatever reason have not been good in extra inning games, you just felt like, oh, here here comes Billy Cook again. He's he's coming to the plate in a bases loaded spot against a guy who's making his second double A outing. But boy, Grayson Thurman really he really just kind of took a deep breath and did what he had to do. Got back to back punch outs and then gets a ground out to uh, to Michael Turconi just for considering the circumstances for Thurman. You know, you, you get on the plane from from Tampa all the way up to here. You're not running on very much sleep. Your double A debut. There's lightning. There's weather. There's fans scrambling all over the place. Like there's just so many distractions. How can you possibly focus in your double A debut? He doesn't even record an out in his in his debut. Comes in the next uh, in the next outing on that Sunday and pulls the Houdini act. You know, bases loaded with nobody out, one run lead. Uh, just really really impressive stuff from Thurman um in, in his second double a outing yeah what a year for grayson thurman really what a month of september uh with the combined no hitter against daytona of course chris you know all about that and kendry rojas of course as we talked about uh certainly really an exciting time to be grayson thurman and i think this time of the year you get performances like that guys coming up guys in Jeff Whaler's case, coming back down to help out certainly a Canadians club that has been uh, a shell of itself between promotions and some injuries and, and guys doing the best they can to try and grind out these last few weeks of the season. And that is what we've seen in this playoff series as well. It's kind of been Dickensian in terms of the best of times and the worst of times, three, nothing shutout win. you got guys contributing up and down the lineup. Whaler makes a couple of incredible plays in that game, including the first, out of the game in the bottom of the first to set the tone and then the seas were down three nothing after the first four nothing after the second and then 10 nothing after the third inning on wednesday night so the canadians trying to find their way uh, lots of signature wins for the seas of course over the regular season 12 walk-off wins uh tons of late action even if they weren't walk-off so we'll see what we get tonight as we are anticipating a sellout crowd here at uh, rogers field at nat bailey stadium for game three canadians are going to play tomorrow for sure sunday of course a winner take all if we get there get this the sunday game is at 105 have y'all ever seen a clinching game in the afternoon only after rain 105 man <laughs> only after rainouts chris you know all about rainouts <laughs> down there in the florida state league uh well how about this fellas let's talk a little bit more about some guys that you each saw this season for your respective clubs who may be making some noise a la david schneider come 2024 now i don't think anybody is going to recreate what Davis did, having the best start in Major League history over his first, what was it, 18 games, 15 games ever? I don't know if we're going to get that next year, but in your estimations, who might be somebody who came through your respective clubs who could, again, we're just kind of hypothesizing here, might be able to make that big splash uh, either at the highest level of the minors in AAA or perhaps even in the big leagues. Let's start with you, Chris. So are you talking guys who are currently on my roster or guys who I've seen come through? That's my Chris Valentine, making sure we get the right question asked at the right time. Let's go with this. Let's go with somebody who you've seen this year, because, of course, specifically in single A, you've got a lot of the new guys who finished up the year uh, and really starting their pro career to wrap up the season. So I'm not sure we could talk about those guys with any kind of gravitas for next year. But somebody who has come through Dunedin since April, who may be very well making an impact uh, in a more national or international way in 2024. 
Oh, that's a tough question. I think the guys who who I've really had this year are a little bit too fresh. Sure. Um, but maybe someone like Ian Churchill is someone who I'd go with, a really dependable uh, bullpen piece who is still with you guys, but is very surprising to me that he's still with you guys. He has he was phenomenal for us this year. He was phenomenal for us last year after he got drafted. Uh, and he's continued to be just the Ian Churchill that we've come to know and love uh, up in Vancouver. Uh, to my knowledge, I think he's given up one run this entire time with Vancouver. Uh, and I would not be surprised at all if he were to start at double A next year, if he can get the velo up a little bit and then make his way at the triple A and could find his way on as a, uh, as a emergency bullpen arm. I think you're absolutely right, especially as a lefty and a college guy, ninth rounder out of USD last year, if my memory serves. I know it's USD. I just don't exactly remember the round. Two and two-thirds scoreless innings in relief in game one of the Northwest League Championship Series. He was our player of the game after we won 3 nothing. And for me, those two and two-thirds were the highest leverage innings all season long. And Churchill came in and he handled business and he inherited a couple of runners on base when he came in and then he contributed to that shutout, which was fantastic. So I think Ian Churchill, you're absolutely right, Chris Valentine. Great opportunity for the Southpaw to find his way into the mix in the upper minors or in the big leagues as the season begins in 2024. Uh, I think, Gareth, you and I might have the same answer because for me, it's Allen Road, and it has to be. There's no other way to describe it, though if I had to pick somebody else, I think Michael Turconi has a chance to make a lot of noise at the upper levels of the minors as well. I think he's going to start in New Hampshire once again next year. But if Allen Roden uh, is not knocking on the door as a fourth outfielder by June of next season, either something's gone awry or they've just decided to really make him sweat in the minor leagues. So what about <laughs> for you, Gareth? Is anybody other than Allen Roden catching your eye for a big league opportunity? Well, I mean, certainly it was... It was tough to see Miguel Geraldo go down. He had an injury in the two-weeker when we were at Reading and Bowie, but he was the best hitter on the Fisher Cats in the month of August. This man drove in half of his RBIs in the month of August alone. I mean, he was he was figuring it out in August, and and Cesar Martin and I we we had talked about how he was just you know not swinging at the stuff that he was swinging at in the first half in those first couple of months. And, and then you see the power for a guy, you know, he's not the biggest guy, but boy, he's driving balls opposite field. He's going to straightaway center off the batter's eye. He's got great pull power as usual. And so, and he's still very young, still 20. Uh, I think, I believe he just turned 23. So um, before he went down with the, the injury, but it was like, man, we got to see the, the full year of that Miguel Geraldo, the August Miguel Geraldo and his defense is significantly improved as well. I mean, who knows? The sky is certainly the limit for, for Miguel just in terms of the way he was getting extra base hits and just putting the bat on the ball, loud contact. I think I think besides, you know, the Rodins and, and the Palma Johnnies, who's already at Buffalo right now, I think Miguel Geraldo was going to be somebody for that second. For just we would have been fun to see what a full year of that Miguel Geraldo was like in that August. Miggy certainly had a, a big time season, a season he needed to have, because when we saw him last year in high A Vancouver, uh, we saw flashes of that top 30 prospect ranking, but it just wasn't consistent enough. So credit to Miguel for doing all he needed to do in the offseason. And that work certainly paying dividends in double A this year. We kind of touched on it already, Chris. One of the questions I wanted to ask you was some of the new 2023 draftees and signees who made their pro debut with Dunedin or quickly started in the FCL and then joined you before the season was over. Uh, you kind of already alluded 
alluded to a guy uh, in Jace Borfin doing his thing. So we can certainly talk about him again. But are there other uh, new signees or draftees who, who joined Dunedin this year who really stood out and are going to really hit the ground running in 2024? Yeah, I mean, number one's got to be Jace Borfin for how well he performed in his first uh, taste of pro ball. Uh, after that, there's a couple bullpen arms that I'm really excited about uh, for next year, along the likes of uh, Che Yeager, Aaron Munson, a couple, uh, couple drafted guys who really performed well in their time here. Uh, there's one more that I'm forgetting the name. It's, it's eluding me. Carson Pierce. Carson Pierce was another guy. Uh, he made a spot start in Daytona, uh, performed well. Uh, those are a couple guys who I think if if the plan is to try to build them up, uh, get their arms a little longer through games, uh, they could perform really well with us next year. Or if they want to keep them in the bullpen, I definitely think Jaeger's ready for for double A or not double A, sorry, for high A with you. We'll take him. Although we've certainly snatched a fair amount of the Dean Blue Jays over the course of the season. And you know what? There's no W in development, as we like to say. Yet the system has still found ways to get those wins. And although it looks like the C's may be the only team to make the postseason, but don't count out Casey Candell's club in AAA. The season's not over yet as they make their September sprint to the finish. Uh, certainly a uh, lot of good despite uh, some more wins could have been out there for the system this year, including in the big leagues. And of course, uh, that's a whole nother can of worms that will lead to other podcasts that they can talk about that. They can spend all their time talking about the big leaguers. What we do on Around the Nest is talk about the future, and the future is always bright, no matter what might be going on at the top level. So how about for you, Gareth? Not necessarily guys making their 2023 pro debuts, but maybe guys who made their double A debut this year, especially the influx of promotions in the second half from high A you had seemingly two classes of former Canadians coming up. You had the early season class of uh, the likes of Rainer Nunez and Andre Sosa, Riley Tirada coming up. And then the second wave of Roden and Turconi, uh, Devontae Brown. Who are some of those guys who came up during the season who stood out specifically in the second half? Yeah, I mean, right now, Devontae Brown, he's been extra base hit machine. I mean, eight, eight of his 13 hits at double A have been extra base hits. They've been, you know, he's getting doubles. He's in home runs. His first two homer game at double A just a, a couple of games ago. Um, you know, so he's been a well, a, a nice addition to this lineup, especially because you weren't really sure after, you know, Stuart Barroa, Damiano Palmajani, Leo Jimenez. I mean, those are three of New Hampshire's most, you know, consistent guys, arguably throughout the season. You know, how do you, you know, how do you, you know, what, what, what's the next step? And I think Devontae Brown has done that with um, with his bat. Um, certainly, you know, C.J. Van Eyck as well, sort of filling in in the rotation as well. For There was a need there, and he's, you know, working his way back after missing all of last year with Tommy John surgery. So you kind of get the feeling like, okay, this is a, a sort of a sneak preview of what might be a, a 2024 Fisher Cats roster in a way, just to, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but just a, a sneak preview of what's to come. Let's dive in a little bit on C.J. Van Eyck before we wrap it up today. And then, of course, we will have a big blowout in our uh, end of regular season and for high A end of postseason wrap up show. We'll do some awards like we did last year as well. So we will go the full shebang a couple of weeks from now when we'll have Pat Malacaro back with us. But uh, let's talk a little bit about C.J. Van Eyck, certainly somebody who everybody was very excited about in 2021. I remember watching him do his thing for the Canadians. Lots of good. Not quite as consistent as you would have hoped for the former Seminole out of Florida State to start, 
but it seems like you both have had a chance to see him do his thing. I uh, just want to know your impressions. And Chris, we'll start with you because you got to see CJ fresh back in action. And then Gareth, you got to see him once he had gotten a couple of innings under his belt back in competitive games. So Chris, what was your impression of CJ Van Eyck when you first saw him with Dunedin as a rehabber? Yeah, so his first couple appearances for us were dominant from from what I remember. Uh, I, uh, he went three innings in Bradenton, I think, was either his first or second rehab appearance for us of the year. And uh, I think he paid, I think he threw seven Ks, uh, one hit. He looked phenomenal. Uh, and we saw him a couple more times throughout the year. And it, I think there was one maybe bad outing for him. And apart from that, he looked about as consistent as you would hope. Um, obviously working back from, from the arm issue and trying to get back to normal and uh, just trying to get into a good rhythm to get back into the upper minors. But yeah, he, he looked about as consistent as you'd hope for him uh, down here with me. There are three words on CJ Van Eyck as we circle the drain here on allotted time for today's episode. Give me three words on your impression of CJ Van Eyck. Three words, man. You, now now I, I'm trying to be a poet here or something. You're putting me right on the spot, man. Oh, my goodness. Oh my goodness. Well, I got Go two up. for you. Pitch face, because that guy, when he's coming to the plate, it's... <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that is true. You're so right. you can that, give that me one word. Face. He's got... He's, he's, 80, 80 grade face. I don't know. 80 grade pitch face. Is that, is that a word? We'll take it, know, but we will take it. We'll take it. <laughs> 80 we'll take grade it. But, pitch no, face. As you, as, <laughs> but no, as you, as you said, I mean, what a little bit just to follow up real quickly on, on what Chris is saying. I mean, it's just for him trying to feel comfortable and, and build up that arm. And he's only thrown about 45, 50 pitches in each outing. Actually, his last outing was a season high. He threw about 60, 61 pitches. And I think for him so far, it's just getting comfortable at double A. He's been in the stretch a lot. They've been, you know, opposing hitters getting hits off of him, but he's been able to limit the damage and get some help with his defense as well. Just sort of pitching the contact in a way, you know, knowing like, hey, I only have so many bullets in the chamber. Like I, I can't be, you know, going seven, eight pitch at bats. I got to just attack these guys and his defense is helping him out. So I think just it's obviously still a small sample size, but you can see, you know, for, for next year, how, you know, he'll get a healthy Van Eyck will do for the Fisher Cats. Expertly described, Gareth. Nicely done. High marks for that last minute poetry assignment that I assigned there. Really well done. Thank you very much. Well, gents, we're here at the end of another episode of Around the Nest. Hard to believe we are halfway through the month of September and we first started yapping at each other all the way back in April. It has been a fun ride. We've got one more episode remaining here in the calendar year. So some final thoughts. We'll leave it with you, Gareth, first. Give us your last gasp of love for the New Hampshire Fisher Cats here in the regular season. I mean, and tonight, uh, as we're recording this on Friday, Ricky Tiedemann's last start with the uh, with the Fisher Cats and with this uh, the season. So it uh, should be a fun one to see how Ricky does against uh, Richard Fitz and uh, a top 30 uh, prospect uh, pitching battle between Ricky and, and Richard Fitz. So uh, just it's been a, it's been a lot of fun to see Ricky. And it's too bad that we got only, uh, you know, a couple of starts out of him. Not as many as we had hoped to see, of course, with the injury, but. Um, but very eager to see uh, tonight. Let's hope they give Fitz some fits there in double A. And I can hear the groans from across the continent. Chris Valentine, your final word from single A, Dunedin. Oh, well, obviously up and down year. Uh, had a great time, honestly. Uh, had a great group of guys throughout the year, uh, both guys that we started with, guys that ended up joining halfway through. Uh, it was It was a fun time. I really enjoyed getting to, getting to know all the guys that that we had in that clubhouse uh all the coaches 
Uh, everybody was great. Uh, it seemed like the team bonded really well. Didn't exactly translate into into wins, but that's that's baseball. But but we all had a great time. And that, at the end of the day, is what it's about. Chris, Gareth, our producer, Leo Mui, thank you very much, gentlemen, for rallying for one more regular season around the nest. Our award show, regular season wrap-up, postseason uh, debrief, if you will, coming soon. So stay tuned on all the podcast feeds for that. But for all of us at Around the Nest, thank you for tuning in. Tyler Zickel, Gareth Kwok, Chris Valentine, and Leo Mui saying goodbye for now, but we'll see you next time on Around the Nest.